Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 135 of The Informed Catholic. All right, so uh, before we begin, please subscribe and share to my podcast if you like what I do. It would be a great help. It would let Spotify and Anchor know that you like this podcast and all the other podcast platforms. So let's begin with a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now the hour of our death. Amen. Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, guardian of the church, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. And St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Augustine, pray for us. And St. Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil and pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So, um, it's not going to be a very long podcast, but I want to make some, I think, reflections um, on current events and things that are going on. Um, I tried it a couple of times. It didn't work out uh, for some reason. Maybe I wasn't ready. Um, you know, it's been quite some time since my conversion uh, from, you know, to Catholicism from um, Islam. I wasn't a practicing Muslim, as you know. I was born to a Muslim father, and my father was never a practicing Muslim. And, um, you know, looking back since my conversion, I don't regret it. I'm very happy. I'm very happy to be a Catholic. I'm very happy to be a Christian. Um, I'm very happy of the, of the choice I made. The only thing I have to say is that the disappointment has been lack of a Catholic community, uh, lack of Catholic culture. I don't think I'm the only one who feels this way, who thinks this way, who believes this way, because it's a sad thing because I see the state of the Catholic Church as it is, see, you know, the scandals, the abuses, um, the apostasy of, of bishops. Um, the sexual abuse is, is very tragic. It's extremely tragic. The fact that priests and bishops have fallen into into the sin, and it's a terrible sin because I do believe that what Our Lady of Fatima says, that more souls go to hell because of the sin of the flesh. The fact that she told this to these little seers of Fatima, the three children, is quite telling. I wonder if they understood it. They probably didn't. I mean, you know, it, there is a connection 
Oh, it's funny. The other day, my mom was telling me about a film she she saw. It was very disturbing to her on TCM called The Wicker Man, starting Christopher Lee, you know, the very famous, uh, he played, um, you know, one of the wizards in The Lord of the Rings, Sauron, I guess, or Saruman, <laughs> Saruman, the, the wizard, the white wizard who uh, fell out of grace and became evil. He was very popular in those Hammer movies where he, um, you know, played Dracula. And, um, and he, I heard, uh, read somewhere that he was a big collector of occultist stuff. I don't know why, but I guess, uh, I hope he wasn't, but he was also a big fan of, of Tolkien. The thing is, in the film, there's a story about a police officer played by Michael. Anyway, Michael uh, Kane was in the picture. You remember him from uh, The Dark Knight. He played Alfred, the butler. Plays a police officer looking for a missing little girl. And he goes to a strange island in Scotland. And the people there are very perverse. They're very sexually loose. And the reason why I'm telling this is because it will explain a little something. The point of it is that he notices the behavior of these people were unbelievably just debauchery, complete debauchery in their behavior. And he meets Christopher Lee, who lives in this mansion. Turns out he's the high priest of these cultists. And Michael Caine's character is a devout Christian. Anyway, he keeps trying to search for this little girl. And the end of the picture, I guess, uh, skipping through it, he find you know he wakes up and finds himself dressed in a white robe and they placed him inside this giant wicker shaped like a man and then he looking through the basket he see this wicker that the his cage he sees the little girl that he's been searching for it and she's one of the cultists and it turns out they needed a sacrifice. He, she was bait. And he was the catch. He was the target all this time. And they sacrifice. They burn him in the basket. It's it's quite horrific. But And these people are... Uh, there's a lot of debauchery, sexual debauchery and everything. The main point is the picture actually pointed to some very important elements of, of apostasy and paganism. Human sacrifice is part of the whole process. Debauchery is part of the process. And it always goes along with idolatry, paganism. And that's basically what happened to ancient Israel and what's happening in our culture. This is one of the things about uh, when you do um, Bible study, Catholic Bible study, you have to follow some of the senses of Scripture. One of them is um, analogy. You compare time and the, and the past and the present. The situation is the spiritual, the spiritual case of the past. You use the literal sense. The foundation of, of Bible study always goes with the literal sense. And the literal sense is 
the most important part of the thing because you have to study the historical part and the historical sense will lead you to looking research what was going on at the time of the event that you're studying, the text. Um, along with it, you should go along with a little anthropology. You could look, I mean, yeah, it. you could look these things. These things are not very hard to look up with the internet and everything. And what was, um, you know, the, the time and the situation, the politics, the economy, what was the uh, the situation of the culture and the language. Those things follow the historical sense, the, the literal historical sense. And then, you know, along then comes spiritual sense. The spiritual sense basically is broken up into allegory and morality. The allegory is the symbolism. The symbolism, and along with it, there's one strain, one very important strain, which I believe is very important. The sacramental understanding. You should always approach the text with the mind of the church. You also have the church fathers. You can look up their commentary and <clears throat> of what was going on at the time. Uh, you know, they can understand the tradition. With the church fathers comes the tradition of how to read the text. We can find a lot of contempt, a lot of uh, parallels with, I guess maybe the word analogy, I would use the word parallels, comparing the time in the past to the time in the present. And then of course, there's also um, the analogical or anagogical sense, the anagogical sense, which is the destiny of the Christian to go to God, or, or we're heading towards God. Our main goal is to reach heaven. And that is, that is very important. Much of what's happening to us now today, some people would say it's not as bad, some scholars will tell you it's not as bad as the past because there was a lot of, a lot of horrible things that happened in the past. We've had bad popes, we've had bad leaders, we've had bad situations in history. And it's true. We did. We did. And, and, and it just, it just doesn't feel because we don't, we don't experience the situations back then, but we can look into the past and learn to understand our, our, our contemporary situation. And that's important. It, you know, it feels bad. It really does. It feels very bad with the Pope um, and and the homosexuality with Father James Martin, Rainbow Martin. It feels terrible. I feel I I I don't I will never know how these people of sexual abuse will ever uh, what they've gone through. I will never be able to understand it. But my heart breaks. Nonetheless, it it's it I I I I have. I cannot imagine what it, you know, the idea that you've been betrayed or you've been used, you've been reduced to a, a, an object, you've been, your innocence taken away from you. I'll never understand that. But I, t I feel terrible that this happened in the church of Jesus Christ by men who, 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 who were consecrated, 
who had their hands consecrated, who handled the Eucharist, the body and blood of our Lord. It's a terrible thing. My heart breaks. I'll never understand what they've gone through, but if my heart breaks nonetheless because you don't want something like this to happen. My only way of, of, of trying to, I guess you can say, connect with them is imagine if they were my relatives. Imagine if they were my brother and sister. And they are. My, they are my brother and sister in Christ. So take it, I, 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 I take it personal. Because if they were my my immediate family, I would be heartbroken. It's it's the same with things like watching someone you love get abused. And my mother, and I know we've got you know she went through a terrible marriage. And whenever I uh, I think about the terrible years we went through with my father, you know I try to I try to least superimpose to understand something by what these people gone through who were children who were abused and used and it's the only way i can understand it because you have to sympathize you have to find some connection with these people to understand their feelings and you know i will never fully understand what they went through because it was a personal experience for them it was a horrific experience it's heartbreaking but you could imagine what was in the past with ancient Israel, when they broke their covenant with Yahweh, when they broke their covenant with God. They sexually abused their children and sacrificed their children to a pagan God. That, that, that brought the destruction to their world, the world that they lived in. God gave them a covenant. He gave them his law and his protection. All they had to do was remain faithful to him, to keep his commandments, and they would have received his blessings. And all they did was threw it back in his face, betrayed him, mocked his temple, brought in pagan idols, performed sexual perverse rituals in the land that he gave them, let themselves fall into, into, the, in, in, into demonic acts and sacrifice their own babies to pagan idols. Go through Jeremiah, go through the book of Kings with Elijah, go with, with Ezekiel, go through all those books and you will see what happened. And you will understand why they had to be punished. And another thing is look at the story of Elijah, the prophet Elijah in the book of Kings. You had King Ahab, very powerful man, successor to the throne of David, 
who married a very evil, wicked woman, Jezebel. All right. A pagan woman. Right. It had to have been pretty. I mean, that was very liberal when you think about it. Uh, a Jewish king, uh, an Israelite, who's supposed to be devoted to the God of Israel, goes ahead and marries a pagan woman among from the Phoenicians. Right. I mean, King Solomon got got to be very liberal. He married all these pagan wives. Brought all these pagan women into his home, into his um, kingdom. And he let them keep their gods. That's pretty liberal when you think about it, right? And along came, uh, they polluted the, the land. Sooner or later, those pagan, those pagan women, those pagan wives of Solomon are going to have some influence. I mean, think about it. They're going to start spreading uh, paganism. And Jezebel did the same thing. Of course, it was quite a couple, maybe a hundred years apart, maybe not too much. But the thing is, the kingdom split. It split. A civil war broke out between the north and the south. The spiritual division became a political division. Okay. It, 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 what was spiritual began to reflect politically. That's something to think about. And there's obviously a division here in this country. We have abortion. We have homosexuality. We have gay marriage. Right? We have a very we have a culture that now between the secular, the state, and the religion, right? We have a um, a supreme court that's become a high priesthood. It's literally the priesthood of the land, because you know it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to make sure that the laws are applied correctly. Instead, people like Joe Biden wants to pack the court. So therefore, it can it cannot be challenged, and also there will be, uh, um, there'll never there'll be a majority against a, uh, a minority. There'll be more liberal judges than there'll be conservative judges. That's basically what he wanted to do because they wanted to take the power away from the House or the Senate. All right, and therefore it would be outnumber the the conservatives. That's basically what it was. Our Abortion, the culture of abortion, the culture of death, is child sacrifice. It's child sacrifice. Okay, where contraception failed, when contraception entered the culture, it destroyed the marriage, the unity of the family, the household. It reduced the relationship to mere sexuality. Okay? And then where uh, the sexual pleasure was dominant and where birth control failed, you have to have something to correct it. 
And so therefore you brought in abortion. Abortion is there to correct where contraception failed. Therefore, what you've done is that you have shattered the marriage union and made the sexual act more important than the marital act, than the, than the fact of the union between husband and wife, which it should be a bond bigger than sexuality. It should be a bond of love and therefore it shattered the home. Okay, the culture changed. By 1973, I mean, first of all, it was legalized in New York State in 1970. And it went straight to the to Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided that abortion had to be legal. That suddenly now, uh, to define what, what's human became a subjective thing. And that, and therefore, uh, it, it, it just took it on a whole do a whole new different level and abortion became the golden cow the golden calf of the land and that's what happened and so to the altar of liberty the altar of complete sexual freedom you have abortion non-stop because human beings are always at war with them with their own nature how do i get pleasure without the price of pleasure how do i get my sexual satisfaction without the price that nature demands from the sexual conjugal act and therefore birth control and abortion is it now what happens when pleasure goes beyond the natural state the, na- the state the state that's supposed to be nature Suddenly, you have to look for new ways to have pleasure. Of course, homosexuality is one of them, and other forms, pornography, everything became became the became the new god, and that is what happened. The pagan gods made it into our culture through different means. A pornography is the you know is it's, it's, it grabs your attention. It it grabs hold of your imagination. I mean, how many boys don't want to go look at their at their father or the you know or some or find a stack of pornography and decide to look into it and they, they found a new new pagan idol. How many times boys have gone in there gone in there and to look at a at a porn channel secretly? Right? How many times um you know you want to sneak into a movie theater to look at a porn- pornographic thing. It, it's a pagan idol. It's an act of a pagan idol. It just took a different form, right? That's what it was. That's what, that, that's what the whole thing was. And what happened was it suddenly took sexuality into a whole new different height. You, you got to look at these things. That's basically what it was. The past... It was all under a different culture. Rome had the same thing. And if you if you want to look at it, look at some of the stuff that you, you never get to see, really. In museums, they won't they won't bring it out to you. Some of the stuff is quite um uh that they found. The Romans and the Greeks used very graphic stuff to advertise um 
brothels, uh, symbol of phallus, uh, graffiti showing uh, sexual acts. Um, there was a whole bunch of stuff. And the other day, Taylor Marshall mentioned that in, in ancient Rome, uh, at the time of St. Augustine, during the early the, the days of uh, during the days of St. Augustine, the Christian religion was was spreading. The pagan Romans had a um, a certain cult of uh, effeminate, very uh, homosexual men, um, who there was a day that's called the Day of Blood, where the men would actually have themselves castrated. And there would be a line of men dressed up in very effeminate gowns. And they would have this ritual where they would basically uh, have their members cut off. This actually happened in pagan times. It also happened in um, in some cultures, basically. It happened in, in Middle Eastern cultures as well. They would grow their hair long. Uh, they would be very effeminate and they would, you know, have their members cut off in a ritual. And this, this, this whole thing find, found its way back into our culture today. What do you think um, uh, transitioning, sexual transitioning is? Again, it found its way in a modern culture, in a modern act, in a different way. Okay, and now the devil found another way to try to destroy human beings. All this comes from satanic influences. We're constantly at battle with our bodies. That's why faith, grace, the sacraments are needed. And in many cases it helped. But what happened was the devil just waited, waited, bind his time to the opportunity came. And one of those opportunities came with constant revolution. The Reformation came. Schism came. Uh, apostasy came. And, he, and he, he managed to do it. He managed to do it in, 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 in some record time. I mean, first the schism. Uh, it happened through, first through heresy. Then through... Um, Schism, then finally the Reformation, the the birth of the uh, of of the individual state, uh, finally come up with um, uh, revolutionary thinkers. Every revolutionary, every revolution is always private and personal. It the individual who gives birth to it always has some kind of passion. I mean, you could take a look at Islam, Muhammad. You know, the 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 the, the so-called prophet of Islam seemed to have a constant sexual perversion following him around all the time. If you look at the history, um, basically he even convinced the man to give up his wife, to, divorce, to give up his wife so he could marry her. Um, he had a lot of wives. He had a lot of concubines. Joseph Smith, who came up with Mormonism, uh, was a man who um, even took other men's wives as his. Uh, you look at it. I mean, Henry VIII, 
right? What did Henry VIII wanted? He wanted divorce. He wanted, he wanted to have a wife who would give him a, a son. And he tore his kingdom apart, tore his kingdom away from Catholicism so he can have this. Martin Luther was also a man who, who, had, who was always at war with his sexuality and everything else and obsession with women. He, torn in, he, he, he caused an entire revolution, reformation, so he can have what he wants. It's all part of it. It always comes. Revolution always has a private thing to it. It always has the passions of, of the man, of something. It, it always does. Henry VIII, Martin Luther, Joseph Smith. You know, and then, of course, I'm sure there's many others. I mean, uh, Karl Marx. Karl Marx seemed to have had uh, a plague of demons, of passions that he couldn't let go of. These things always follow revolutionaries, always. And they're willing to tear the whole world apart to have what they want. And they usually destroy themselves. But they destroy so many people with them. So many people go with them. And so many lives and souls go to hell. It's sad and terrible. So now we come to our days. One of the biggest things that uh, that's happened is the the attack of the family, the loss of the family. The fact of divorce rates are, well. I mean, how can you compare it if there's no nobody getting married, right? There's a lot of, there's a low marriage percentage in the church and baptisms are down. Uh, couples live together, right? They want to try living together so they won't have, so, uh, you know, they don't want to get married. Uh, kids born out of wedlock. Uh, I come from a divorced family. And, um, you know, my parents divorced when I was 13. My father remarried. My mom never did. A lot of people, a lot of younger people, I'm 49. A lot of younger people, very few of them get married now. I mean, very, if they, you know, they don't have kids. If any that are married, and I know a few that are, the average child is one. You're lucky if there's a family where they have two children. Okay? But most, if they are married, only have one child. And others that are not, their vast majority uh, that are not married, that outnumber everybody. So there's going to be a lot of people in the future that are going to be singles uh, alone. Um going to be one of them. Um, my brother himself has not married, even though he has a, a, a young lady. I don't even know he's with her, but the question is, uh, will he get married? I don't know. It might be, um, I don't know. I, you know, he, he might be following along the way where, you know, single and childless. Unfortunately, it's like that. Those who are religious are happily married and, they usually have at least uh, three children, maybe. The average of, let's say, happily religious people in a happy home. Others have more. 
like five kids in some areas. If you go to the Midwest, it might be a little bit more. But it's 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 going to be a very sad future for a lot of people. And this is where Dr. Steve Truly says is that the conservatives are going to outnumber the liberals in these values. These values are going to change the spectrum. It's, it's, it's going to change the chart because those who don't have children are going to find themselves outnumbered by their own ideology. They are eating themselves. And that's why there's going to be a very, very, very shift in the, in the culture in the next 20 years. It's the same thing happening, not just here in the United States. You're going to see the same thing happening in Europe. There are conservatives. Now, there might be more liberals now. But in the future, those kids who grew up in happy homes are going to want to do the same thing in the future with their own, you know, for themselves. They want to have a happy home. And they're going to have wife and kids. It's, you know, it's obvious. And I've, I've technically noticed it. I mean, you know, Scott Hahn had a big, the Hahn family had a big home. Uh, Dr. Taylor Marshall has a big home, has a, you know, a lot of kids. Uh, Tim Gordon, him and his wife, they have children. Um, you know, most people who are religious have a home. They have family and, and, and liberals don't have that. They don't have that. They, they, they're, they're not into families and they're going to feel threatened. They're going to be, they're going to feel threatened when they look across the aisle and they see people who are on, on the political side with big families. And this is, this is going to be a shift in the culture. I don't know because there's going to be a hostile attack. There's going to be a hostile uh, attack later on. And, and, you know, eventually from the liberal side, because they feel always feel threatened when they see people with big, with kids, you know, because notice the, the course with the, with the idea of, uh, uh, what about the, the environment? How could you bring children in this troubled world? Uh, climate change is going to, you know, is affecting, you know, it's, you know, you shouldn't be bringing more children. We should have less children. They, they always come up with these, with these things and they always have to because they feel they must. It's going to, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, you know, the only thing, of course, is, is the sad fact in the Catholic Church. Here in, I think, in the, in the Northeast, I think you're going to see Catholicism die. I, I, I hate to say it. Um, there's no, there's very little community. You know, I go to Mass and nobody bothers to, there's no programs, there's no Bible study. There's no organization for men. There's no um, adult formation or something. There's no Bible study program. There's nothing. There's no catechism for adults. There's nothing. There's no, you go to mass, you go to mass. And now, you know, of course, now with the COVID, it's impossible. But, you know, you want some more activity. You want more, more something. 
Uh, I, you know, I, I would love to have a Bible program, basically, where people can sit down. We can study, study this. I want to share what I learned, and I want to share it with other people, and I want some kind of program. But there, there is any, there is anything. They don't encourage it. And uh, sadly, a friend of mine, Henry, he tried this several times in his in different parishes, and he always met with some kind of resistance. Some. Sorry, folks, my neighbor upstairs is, I don't know why he keeps, they keep moving furniture, I, I'm guessing, but I'm guessing he pretty soon is going to start his his, uh, his stereo system, so I better end this quickly. It is always uh, uh, some resistance uh, when it comes to a conservative lay person, someone who really studied the faith, loves the faith, and wants to share it. My friend Henry wanted to share his his um, his learning with others, and for some reason, there's always uh, some kind of resistance from some priest who comes in, and even though it's all in print, it's all in the catechism. Um, my friend Henry never taught anything that was contrary to the faith. Uh, meets a resistance. And that's a big problem with Catholicism today. There's always some kind of resistance to, to conservatism, to conservative, real Orthodox Catholic teaching. You know, someone like James Martin comes along and he happily loves to contradict the faith that Catholicism is behind the times and it should allow for gay unions, right? Even though the church has always been against that and in and, and, the Pope, the Pope cannot change the, the the teaching. He cannot change. Marriage is a divine revealed truth. Pope Francis cannot change marriage, the meaning of marriage. He cannot make two men legal. The Pope cannot change the Ten Commandments. Simple, plain and simple. And that's the problem. That's, that is a serious, serious problem here because unfortunately, a lot of Catholics don't know this. They don't know their own faith. They don't know what the Catholic faith teaches. They listen to people like James Martin. They hear stuff from CNN or BBC or something. And guess what? They think it's true. They think because the Pope said that same-sex unions is okay, and there should be same-sex unions, then they think the Catholic faith has changed. And the next thing you know, the local parish priest gets a phone call from two homosexual couples that want their union blessed. And he tells them, we don't do that. And they say, well, we just heard on the news the Pope just changed it. No, he didn't change anything. A private opinion is a private opinion. The Pope can have a thousand private opinions that are contrary to the truth. They're his. He can hold on to them and, 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 and face judgment day with it. It doesn't change the truth. This is the problem. No Catholic knows this. They, they really, the people from the outside take the Pope and they want to believe that what the Pope says, they, they, they take the Pope in a more paganistic approach, more let's say, out there approach than Catholics do. The Catholic faith is revealed truth in itself. 
apart from subjective, that means your own personal mind, your own personal thoughts and opinions. Because what you think and believe doesn't necessarily make it true. You have, in order to, you have to look at Catholicism and see it for what it is, a objective truth in itself, all by itself, it is objective truth, cannot be changed because God is the truth. They don't believe, they, they don't understand that. And I'm sure there's a lot of people right now don't understand that, but this is what we have to, we have to look into. We have to study this stuff in order to become better Catholics, in order to get closer to God. Because the more we accept truth, the more closer we get to God and the more our lives, we, we're mentally healthy, we're emotionally healthy, and we can, we, can bear, you know, we can go through the storm, we can handle the storm, any storm that comes, anything. And we're more at peace. Christ said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right, I'm going to end it here. Um, I probably won't put out something tomorrow because I'm probably going to be uh, watching the whole election thing and I got to go vote tomorrow uh, myself. So um, God bless. And we're going to say one Hail Mary for all that's about to take place. Okay. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now at the hour of our death. Amen. Lord, please uh, bless our country, bless our home, bless the Holy Church, your Holy Catholic Church. Give us good leaders in the Catholic Church. We pray for the Pope and for the Cardinals, Lord, that... Um, you may guide them to truth. And we also pray for our country and our president. And we pray for peace, a peaceful election, that there will not be any rioting or looting or people's homes or no lives taken. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Immaculate Mary, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God bless.